Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. One thirty-three in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brendan S. Scott with you. Letting it ride with Chris Cornell today. All right, uh, here we do. Let's do this. We are going to head off to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline and hook up with Frank Cervelli from Daily Faceoff. He is our Oilers Now headliner today for Wilhock Beef Jerky. It just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhock, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. Uh, we welcome back to Oilers Now, Frank Cervelli. Frank, how are you? I am good, Bob. What did you guys do to the Calgary Flames? <laughs> well, you were here for it. <laughs> you, you, you saw it. Uh, we saw the, a lot the of... wheels have just fallen off since then. Uh, look, you're you are amongst. Uh, I would say that, and don't take this as an insult. The top three most plugged in men in the business right now. I don't think there anybody would debate that for a second. Um, I'm going to assume that you've uh, got people in Calgary that you talk to. Um, the Athletic reporting within the last 90 minutes that uh, Matthew Kachuk has basically told him he will not sign a long-term extension. Uh, Pat Steinberg out of Calgary, and you know who he is, he has just put out via Twitter in the last, uh, geez, eight to ten minutes, uh, an actual timeline on the chronological event of all of this. Um, now I've got to find it. Uh, yeah, 22 minutes ago. This is my understanding of the Kachuk Flames timeline. The Kachuk camp informed Calgary late last week they don't attend to sign long-term. Calgary decided to go to arbitration to avoid a July 22nd uh, QO deadline, and the team has been working with potential trade partners since then. You knew all this, right? I didn't know all of the details specifically, but in seeing some of the reporting out there, I actually had to take a deep breath and put the phone down last week uh, after free agency ended. It was just bonkers. Um, But yes, uh, followed up with some sources in the last half hour here and can confirm a lot of what's been reported out there. Some of it, there are a few inaccuracies, but the gist of it is correct in that Matthew Kachuk did notify the Flames recently, I believe last week is accurate, that he does not intend to sign long-term. And the Flames are now in this spot where they can't afford to see happen. They've seen this movie before with Johnny Gaudreau. You can't have a player walk to unrestricted free agency to then bolt. Um, Now you know ahead of time that the plan is not to re-sign long-term. And so when they decided to make the arbitration filing um, early this week, basically what that did was buy them some time. It took the offer sheet off the table and has now given them just a little bit of wiggle room and flexibility now to engage with some other teams. Uh, I think what has been slightly inaccurate is the list of teams that's been reported out there. I would say um, that that Matthew Kachuk could, is willing to sign long-term with. Um, it's a small group, I would say, in the neighborhood of four to five teams that he's 
basically notified the Flames. He doesn't have any sort of no-trade protection or anything like that, but given what's at stake, given how expensive that next deal will be, given the assurances that any team would want uh, if they're going to be trading significant assets to get Matthew Kachuk, they want him for the next eight years. And um, it's it's not to give up a haul to then figure out what happens later with the contract. That needs to come in, in a short order. So um, that's what's on the table for Calgary. I can tell you that to this point, because of the contract uncertainty and, and all that comes with it and how expensive it's going to be, there aren't a lot of teams that can just – pony up at this exact moment in time and trade for Matthew Kachuk. So, you know, there are teams that would need to move significant money. Um, like there are some that I think aren't even capable at this point of pulling off a trade and re-signing him now because they'd be exceeding their off-season cap space. So it, this is a delicate dance for Brad Tree living in the Calgary Flames. They know they need to get a significant return from, from Matthew Kachuk, but at the same time, they're sort of hamstrung here at the moment by the parameters of the next contract. Would St. Louis make sense? Is that too obvious? It, it, no, not too obvious. Uh, it makes perfect sense. Um, I believe at the end of the day that that's the preferred number one destination. I don't know that anyone from the Kachuk camp would come out and say it. But I would also believe that the feeling is mutual from the St. Louis Blues. And so a lot of people were curious as to why I had um, Vladimir Tarasenko and uh, Tori Krug on my trade targets board as we headed into draft week. And the reason for that is Doug Armstrong is usually one step ahead. He's making calls around the league and has been for the last number of weeks now slowly and quietly, if possible, gauging the market on what he could get for certain players to move out cap space if necessary in the eventual possibility that uh, something like this with Matthew Kachuk would pop up. So they're well positioned and I think well prepared to present a significant offer. Um, But I can tell you this, everyone is looking at the timeline and they're saying this is something that needs to happen in short order for Calgary because you know, arbitration, that hearing is is coming at a certain point in early August and and you'd like to get something done before then. Uh, That is clearly the goal of the Calgary Flames, but I can tell you that they're prepared to enter next season if they have to, to go through with arbitration or to settle on a one-year deal. Whatever it takes, they hold his rights for this upcoming season. There's no gun to their head right now. This could happen and could take some time. Uh, Think back to some of the other big trades that have gone down the last few years. How long did it take for Jack Eichel? Months and months before the Vegas Golden Knights finally got it done. Um, I would think that they'd like to rip the Band-Aid off before then, but you got to get something back for a player that I believe is a true unicorn in the NHL. Johnny Goodrow, uh, a lot of people, look, you can educate the listeners here. You're from South Philly, is that right, Frank? Uh, so I'm from the northern Philly suburb, but Johnny Gaudreau is from South Philly, maybe about four, yeah, 40 minutes from where I grew up, um, but it's a really small hockey community here, so more or less everyone has a pretty good sense, Bob, of the people uh, that come from around here. All right. Uh, Chuck, you talked about the fact that Doug Armstrong got ahead of things. Did Chuck Fletcher not get ahead of things in terms of uh, on the Goodrow front? What happened there in Philadelphia? I think that's probably fair to say. Um, I don't know if either they 
just weren't willing to move out cap space with the price that was attached to it, or if there were some feelings there that maybe Johnny Gaudreau isn't exactly the right fit for their team. You know, there aren't a lot of teams out there, and it depends on who you speak to. I, you know, I happen to think Johnny Gaudreau is such a unique player with a unique skill set that. Um, I, I think it makes sense, but there are teams that are wary out there, Bob, of paying upwards of $10 million a year for a winger. Uh, some teams don't think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I would say that Johnny Gaudreau is among a select few, a handful. Um, I would include Matthew Kachuk in this category. I would include uh, Artemi Panarin and a few others of true, consistent, play-driving wingers. Um, that are out there, and and you don't see 100-point players change teams. You don't see point-per-game players change teams via free agency. It almost never happens. So I don't know if the Flyers were thinking that it wouldn't um, or if they just weren't willing to pay the price or didn't see the right fit. I do think that there was a conversation that was had last Wednesday during the day as free agency moved on where Johnny Gaudreau was potentially willing to take even less money than he signed for in Columbus to go to that perfect fit that he viewed in his mind as the Flyers. So that clearly didn't materialize. Um, I do think the Flyers explored the market of what it would cost to trade players like James Van Riemsdyk and others to create the cap space required, but at the end of the day, they just didn't get it done. We're joined by Daily Faceoffs Frank Cervelli, Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers now. One thing I, I like about you, Frank, is you've been to Edmonton multiple times. You've wanted to come to Edmonton. You were here for uh, the you know Rogers Place opening. Uh, we had a little bit of fun with uh, the Patrick Swayze lookalike Dan Baker at Pub 1905 <laughs> one night, and a prediction that both of us made. So you've been to Edmonton lots of times. You got you, you like Canada. You, you know you worked for TSN before uh, Daily Faceoff. Mm-hmm. Scott Burnside has written a piece uh, on Daily Faceoff about the challenges that Canadian teams have. I'm going to throw some players at you. So Goodrow's gone. Kachuk's obviously going to be gone within a year. JT Miller, American, uh, like Kachuk and Goodrow, in Vancouver. Maybe he stays, could get traded. Connor Hellebuck in two years. Austin Matthews within two years. Those are the stars of the Vancouver, Winnipeg, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Is this a concerning time for Canadian organizations with American-born players? What do you think? I think it is. I mean, it depends on each individual circumstance. Like, I truly believe at the end of the day, and we're a long way off from seeing this happen, so don't hold me to it. Like, I believe Austin Matthews is a Toronto Maple Leaf for life. I think he's loved every facet of his life in Toronto. I I think he's, you know, crushed it both on and off the ice. Um, you know, with all the attention that comes with being the star of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I think he's handled everything so well um, that I could see him staying there forever. I think the rumblings have been out there about JT Miller for a long time uh, that he would potentially like to, you know, if he had his choice, come to the U.S., uh, come back, being an Ohio-born kid um, just outside of Pittsburgh. And his agent was out there today uh, saying on radio, look, uh, the door is open for an extension with the Vancouver Canucks. And of course it is like he, he has enjoyed his time in, in Vancouver and has done everything the Canucks have asked him to do. Um, but at the same time, they haven't come close. They're not even in the neighborhood of, of what the Miller camp would consider an, an acceptable 
extension to even negotiate on based on what's been presented. JT Miller will be 31 by the end of year one of his next contract. And so term is a significant hurdle for the Canucks moving forward as they look at their long-term cap picture. Um, Matthew Kachuk is in a little bit of a different spot. Like I think reading Johnny Gaudreau's piece in the Players' Tribune today, you could understand and sympathize with the spot that he was in after his dad's heart attack, um, you know, meeting his wife and, and now having a baby on the way, wanting to be closer to home. You know, I would argue 500 miles away in Columbus is still, you know, a somewhat sizable uh, travel hurdle. Um, and it's still a little bit surprising to me where he ended up at the end of the day. But Matthew Kachuk, to my knowledge, told the Calgary Flames quite specifically, there's no, you know, family thing at play. That, you know, he wants to play in the U.S. That's, that's what the message was to the Calgary Flames. And that's really difficult to compete with. I think at the end of the day, they're, they're left yep. here sitting saying, what, what, where do we go wrong? You know, we went all in at the deadline last year. The pieces that they traded for, the, the future prospects and picks that they gave up, um, they, they really went hard after it, and they fell apart in the Battle of Alberta in a, in a five-game series that I'm now left sitting here, Bob, saying, like, I hope that's not it for the Battle of Alberta for a while because it was really just getting going again, and you need two teams to tango. I, I don't know where the Flames go next and how they can possibly reboot on the fly like this. It's going to be very difficult to lose two 100-point players, 100%. two play drivers. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy. All right, two quick ones for you. Actually, three, because uh, it's going to involve two different players. Kadri and Klingberg, your best bet right now. Ooh, um, I, I, I really don't – I wouldn't want to hazard a guess. Um, I still think the Colorado Avalanche have been in it from the start on Nazem Kadri. I don't know what their hang-up is. It's obviously they need to move money. Have they not found a solution? Has Kadri overcooked himself in terms of the ask on the market? I think it's a fair thing to ask at this point. The rumblings were for the longest time that the New York Rangers were the, the team that has sort of had Kadri circled. And to see them pivot and still go seven years on a much less AAV um, you know, the thought process was that Kadri was asking for something in the neighborhood of seven times eight million dollars a year, and they go with um, Vincent Trocheck at seven times five six two five, and that's a, a sizable difference. Like that means a lot to a team uh, over the long haul. You know, when you're looking at a two C, and I think maybe that's part of the hangup for Kadri is yes, he had an eighty-seven point year. Uh, and showed so much heart in the playoffs. Um, you know, you, you, you see guys get emotional on the ice. It's always one of the things that chokes me up when I walk on the ice at the Stanley Cup final after the Cup's been awarded um, to see his story and how it played out and how many times he'd been counted out. Um, I think made for an incredible script, but I think a lot of teams, Bob, at the end of the day, still view Kadri as a 2C. And do you want to have the most expensive second line center in the league or can that money be better budgeted elsewhere Klingberg uh, I know this was supposed to be a quick answer I don't have one for you I think he potentially had overestimated what might be available to him on the market yep. they sort of cut ties with the Dallas Stars 
uh, a couple weeks before the market opened, and then I was told circled back to them on day one, at which point the stars had already sort of redistributed those dollars elsewhere to Mason Marchman and, and don't really have anything left. So, uh, you know, where does Klingberg fit? You know, you watch some of these other teams that have gone out and gotten other pieces on their blue line. Um, you know, Carolina got Brent Burns. I thought he might have been a fit there. Like, who needs that sort of specialist for what Klingberg can provide? I, I'm not sure. All right, and final one for you. You talked about seeing the Battle of Alberta. The Oilers, uh, Ken Holland, gets Evander Kane done in the fives, uh, five times five on Campbell. Kulak stays at 4.275. We still got the RFAs. We got a huge fan base that loves Poliarvi. I'm not sure the market's out there the way a lot of people seem to think, but, uh, you know, one of Yamamoto or Poliarvi will be here for sure. Was this the start, in your opinion, of Edmonton's window this past season? Um, yeah, I, I think it started, um, you know, it's funny, you and I had talked offline for years as sort of, you know, this last season being the one that, you know, finally Edmonton could take that step forward. And I know a lot of people had doubted Ken Holland um, and the decisions and choices that he had made leading up to the playoffs. Uh, people were up in arms about the goaltending, um, all sorts of different question marks. And it seemed like every move that, he had made really paid off when it mattered most in the playoffs. Not only that, but what changed about Edmonton and their off season is that players around the league saw the success that the Oilers had getting to the final four. And they said, Oh wow. Connor McDavid led the playoffs in scoring by how many points. And he, you know, had how many fewer games that it, it snapped everyone to attention in terms of what the possibilities are in Edmonton that, you know, you can put a lot of those other things that we just talked about on the side, playing in Canada, uh, you know, certainly a rough winter climate, all these other things that Edmonton has been knocked for in the past. You can throw those out the window now. Edmonton's right in the zone. Um, not only that, but, you know, if you don't want to be there, if you want to, um, you know, pout like Jesse Pugliarvi seems to have done privately, whatever it may be, you're going to find yourself somewhere else and they can use that those cap dollars and replace you with someone else. And so you've got to want to be in it and be in the fight. And I think watching the strides that the Oilers have made, I'm, I'm curious to see what they continue to make this upcoming season, goaltending obviously looking different. And it's funny, you know, for, as I just mentioned with some of the moves that Ken Holland has been knocked for, a lot of them haven't come, you know, the Duncan Keith one, it slides off the books and he had a great playoff and Mike Smith now likely heading towards LTIR, uh, not going to hurt the team for the second year. And they basically got value goaltending from Mike Smith for what he provided. So um, I, I don't think the Oilers are done. I think they've got a few other moves up their sleeve this summer. I think everything's sort of hammed up by, uh, some ARB cases and some other teams trying to clear out cap space. And I still think that the roster that we see on the ice on opening night in October is going to look a little bit different now than it does on paper. Hey, Frank, we got to do this again sometime, okay? You know me, Bob. I'm down anytime. Always, I always answer your calls. Thank you very much, Frank. Much appreciated. That Thanks, is, Bob. Have a good one. Yeah, that is Frank Cervelli from Daily Faceoff. 152 in Edmonton will wrap up Oilers now when we return with this day in Oilers history. 
to this day in Oilers history, and it's going to tie into uh, Ken Holland. I'll explain why. Here's Brennan Escott. 1993, Oscar Kleffbaum is born in Karlstad, Sweden. Oilers selected him 21st overall in the 2011 NHL entry draft. He went on to play over 350 games with the club, even leading the NHL in blocked shots in 2019-20. Has he played his last game with the team? Yeah. Probably. Yeah, he has. Uh, so here's the, the Ken Holland connection. So when Ken came aboard, Oscar Clefbaum and Adam Larson was his top pairing. Through no fault of Ken Holland's, he's had to replace those guys. Uh, Darnell Nurse has moved up basically from second pairing left D to top pairing left D. And the Oilers, in many ways, since Nurse was already here, and I know he's received a significant pay hike, but they've pretty much replaced Nurse, or sorry, Clefbaum and Larson at a combined eight point, I don't know, eight point three million with Brett Kulak at 2.75 and Cody Cece at 3.25, 6 million. And people initially criticized the CC signing, and by the end of last year in the playoffs, nobody was criticizing it. Kind of puts things in perspective. And a lot of you liked what you saw to Kulak. You know, that was something that Ken Holland had to sort of change on the fly and was able to do so. Interesting what uh, Frank Cervalli said, sort of alluded to the fact uh, did he use the term, I think he said pouting with Jesse Pogliarvi, you know, and that was interesting. I don't think I've heard that term yet, but, uh, you know, we'll see how it all plays out here on the RFA front involving both Kyler Yamamoto and Jesse Pogliarvi. Again, it's based on points per game, which works the advantage of the players, especially when you play in a team with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Coming up tonight, Inside Sports with guest host Dave Campbell. Five-time Stanley Cup champion and 2022 Alberta Sports Hall of Fame inductee, Dr. Randy Gregg. Also the president of Football Canada, Jim Mullen, on their new three-year partnership with the CFL Players Association. Jim's a great guy. Uh, used to do UBC football play-by-play when I did the Alberta Golden Bears back in the day. Tomorrow is a completely fluid show other than the fact that uh, in the next couple of days you're going to hear a couple of my broadcast partners, Jack Michaels tomorrow, Cam Moon on Friday. Speck will be joining us on Friday. We're working on a couple of the guests. Uh, special thanks again today to Frank Saravelli from Daily Faceoff, David Staples, Cult of Hockey, John Shannon, our NHL insider. Up next, the global news weather traffic update with Kevin Robertson, followed by Rob Breckenridge today from 2 to 3. Brendan Escott, great job from you uh, today as well. Uh, so, Rob Breckenridge, 2 to 3, and then the 6 30 chat afternoons of Jalen Nye from 3 to 6. Back at you tomorrow noon. So long, everybody, from Oilers Now. Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.